0: I said to myself, Look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom, and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and the more knowledge, the more grief. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Sorry, it's not John Perkins, it's me. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, that's an inside joke. We did have a slight video clip a few weeks ago that John was gracious enough to read uh, for us. Um, This morning we continue our series, we conclude our series um, on the book of Ecclesiastes, this enigmatic, uh, troublesome book uh, of the Old Testament. Uh, We're going to be talking about this idea of wisdom and how it is that uh, we understand it, how can we perceive it, that we are people who desire um, and indeed um, uh, gain and uh, are recognized for learning and knowledge and facts and technology and, and being intelligent, in our world, in time and space, um, especially in Boston, the Athens of America, uh, we're, we're blessed to have institutions like uh, Harvard, MIT, and uh, you know all these other schools. We're blessed to have huge hospitals, big name hospitals that are renowned throughout the world, the MPHs of the world, and so on and so forth. We have high-tech and biotech companies here. We have Google and Twitter and Microsoft and all these companies and Genzyme. We have all this stuff It's based a lot on. Wisdom and intelligence and knowledge and information, right? And so the real question is for us as we talk about today is: Is that good? Is gaining more wisdom and knowledge and facts and intelligence necessarily good? See, that's something we should celebrate. At least if you ask my dad, it certainly would be. My dad, when I was born, gave me the name Thomas Henry Lee, and he being. Chinese, Asian, um, there was no reference to the Thomas Henry of American history. It was really because he said it sounded like a big name for a doctor. <laughs> I'm still working on it, I've not got that yet. Um, you know, and, and Edna's, parents, Edna's parents, you know, 30 years hence of graduation, plus years of graduation, they still, when they see old friends, they still lament that she turned down admissions to Harvard go to a lesser idol. So, in this context, how do we understand it? Is knowledge, the pursuit of knowledge, something that is something that we should pursue? Or is it something, as I said in the video earlier, just a puff of smoke? You know, this idea of meaninglessness is this idea, it's like a vapor. This is just a vapor. Meaningless, meaningless, vanity of vanities, a vapor of vapors. Is all the intelligence we have, is that all there is? Is it necessarily evil, everything that we understand and know? Or on the other hand, is it necessarily good, everything that we know? Or is it some some dichotomy that's supposed to be, you know, everything that, that talks about God is good, and everything that talks about the world and humanity is evil? Is that how we're supposed to perceive it? How do we understand this pursuit, this desire to gain knowledge, to gain understanding, to gain wisdom? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning in this book. We're going to talk about the good news, the bad news, the great news, and the really great news, okay? And so I want you to think about this book because I want you to think about King Solomon. And although King Solomon was, you know, he's in this, um, per- perceived as one of the wisest, and scripture talks about how he was among the wisest, was the wisest man of the ancient times. We'll talk about that in a second, but King Solomon is the one who um, pens all these scripture, uh, we believe, Proverbs collects the Proverbs that we know. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes was probably penned by some what, by him or someone who was very much like him or knew him. Um, and uh, even Job, we're not sure, but this idea of wisdom literature throughout the uh, ancient times. We recognize King Solomon, and the next slide will tell us a little bit more about what King Solomon is. Um, and he asked for wisdom in 1 Kings 3, um, and he says, And then God responds to His request for wisdom. I will do what you ask, says the Lord. I will give you a wise and certain heart, that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give what you have not asked for. So on and so forth. So God says He's going to give him this wisdom. And indeed He does. And the reflection of scripture in the next passage is that King Solomon is one um, in chapter 4. God gave King Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sands of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan of Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Kothol, Darda, uh, son of Mohammed, and his fame spread to all surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and he's Psalms numbered 1005 spoke of plant life uh, from the cedars of Lebanon with his substance that grows out of the wild. Um, he also spoke of animals and birds and reptiles and fish, and from all the nations who came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Uh, said all of the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Wow! So King Solomon is this guy that God has blessed with wisdom. He has wisdom beyond measure. He's the greatest of the ancient sages, um, of all these people from Egypt and from the east, Mesopotamia, the, the Samaritans, and so on and so forth. All these folks had what we now call wisdom literature. It was very pervasive uh, in the ancient times, had wisdom literature in all these countries, from um, Egypt uh, in pre-2500 BC, um, through the Samaria, and through Babylon, and Mesopotamia, and that whole area, wisdom literature. Solomon was the greatest of them all. Solomon was the greatest of them all. pen 3,000 Proverbs, Psalms, and so he's a man who's very learned. We need to understand how it is that God blesses. And so throughout this, we're going to ask the question How, in what ways is wisdom and gaining wisdom and knowledge good, bad, and actually great? Okay, let's go. Father, we come and we ask that you pour out your spirit. We ask that you would give us an open heart to hear from your word uh, and from your servant. We pray that your spirit would move among us, that as we think about our lives, as we think about our pursuits, um, Father, we pray that you would come into line uh, with who you are what you call us to become, what you call us to believe, to be, and to think. We pray this continue. So the first thing I want to suggest is that wisdom is actually um, something that's really good. It's good news for us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Oh, 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 go back. It's good. It's good. And I want to suggest that uh, Ecclesiastes um, talks about wisdom. And in the passage Ecclesiastes, uh, here we go, 12, 1 to 14. The 12, 1 to 14. We'll go back to section. Next slide. There you go. Oh, back up. Oh, there you go. Oh, no, sorry. You were right before a joke. I'm really sorry. There you go. I saw that. So, this good news. The good news about wisdom is that it is good for us, generally speaking. It's good for us. It's not that uh, everything, humanly speaking, is bad. It's actually good for us. And here, even Ecclesiastes or the Solomon like figure in the Old Testament says, Look, I saw that wisdom is better than folly. Just as light is better than darkness, wisdom. Uh, the wise have eyes in their heads, while fools walk in the darkness. And so, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes and also Proverbs, you see this contrast between those who are wise and those who are foolish, of um, those who are, uh, uh, you know, walking in light and those who are walking in, in in darkness. And what we see is that it's better to be in the light, right? You know, uh, uh, unfortunately, the people in Houston have no electricity. It's dark at night. You can't see anything, and the sun hasn't come up until recently, and so it's better to be in the light. Right? right. And so having wisdom is better than being fooled. Wisdom it is also, in verse 11, wisdom like inheritance is a good thing. It benefits those who have, who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves those who have it. Um, 7. So the idea that wisdom is a positive thing. Having knowledge and understanding um, is a positive thing in general. We recognize that. Um, And some people make a firm distinction between um, facts, knowledge, wisdom, and insight. Okay? I think, at least in the book of Ecclesiastes, those are not hard and fast distinctions. At least in the book of Ecclesiastes, I think that those are bundled together oftentimes the synonyms. Okay? Um, and so what we see is that the more knowledge you have, hopefully the more wise you are get, the more insight you'll have from that, you know, kind of thing. Um, but they kind of bundled together, not made a strong distinction between the two. The real distinction in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes is between wisdom that is under the sun. Wisdom that is under the sun, that is wisdom that is completely naturalistic, wisdom that is devoid of any reference to who God is. Wisdom that does not have the, uh, the benefit of a revelation from God himself. And so human, earthly-bound wisdom. Does that make sense? And so when we talk about how wisdom is good, it's earthbound. It is wisdom under the sun. And there is benefit to wisdom under the sun. And yet, um, we'll keep going here, um, there are more benefits. Um, next slide. Wisdom makes one person more powerful than ten rulers, it says. A person's wisdom brightens the face, makes them happy, and changes uh, his appearance. It also saw, um, the teacher says, I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that has greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and the powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built a huge siege walk against it. Now there lived in that city a poor man, but a wise man. And he saved the city by his wisdom. Wow, so you know, if you're smarter, you're wiser. you can actually save the city from, uh, from destruction. Wisdom is better than physical strength itself. Um, the, uh, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a fool. Wisdom is better than the weapons of the war. So it is good. It is good. It is good to pursue wisdom, to have a certain amount of intelligence and learning and reflection on all that there is. And certainly, Solomon, as he thought about birds and reptiles and fish and so on and so forth, and even his famed story of how he uh, had a judgment about the uh, uh, the two uh, harlots who had a, a child, uh, an infant before them, and they both uh, you know, claimed that infant to be their own. You remember that, you know, story? That wisdom helped him uh, to discern and how to figure out who really was the mother of this child. And so we recognize that. And, and, and like Solomon, Wisdom, because he was so wise, people from all over the world came, and the Queen of Sheba came uh, you know, to entertain him, and uh, we un- understand more because of who he was um, and the knowledge that he had. So there is great benefit, and can be a good, great benefit, from Wisdom. And yet there is a limit. There's badness bad news, and the, and the scriptures say the bad news is that script, uh, wisdom and knowledge under the sun, if it's only under the sun, then it's limited. It's limited, does not fulfill its purposes. It's limited. And what happens is that we recognize um, that in this book, Ecclesiastes, it's also called pessimism literature. So within the giant idea of wisdom literature, there's a section called pessimism literature, and Ecclesiastes is pessimism literature. we read here, we recognize that wisdom has its limits. Wisdom has its limits. And here, Ecclesiastes 1.12, uh, which was part of the upper video, um, we see that it says, um, next slide. Um, oh, sorry, go back. What we just had. There you go. The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool walks in darkness. We just read that, right? But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes both of them. I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, or a vapor, for the wise, like the fool, will no longer be remembered. The days days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die." There's a certain amount of fatalism there, yeah? That we all end up in the same place, we all end up six feet under. And so whether you are smart, the smartest guy that ever walked the earth, or the person who never read a book, never had serious thoughts in your life, you both end up after 60, 70, 80, 90 years in the same place. And not only that, it says, look, we are not going to be remembered. If all we have are these years, all we have, we're not going to be remembered, we're going to be forgotten, and we end up in the same place, this is futility, this is when it calls it right. All of our pursuing, all of our yearnings, all of our credentials and degrees, and titles after our names, and the letters after our names, when we sign those signatures, that is all going to be Next reminder is that uh, wisdom makes one man wise, more powerful than ten rulers. And yet, a little further down says, "All this I tested about wisdom, and I determined uh, to be wise. But this was beyond me. Whoever exists, whatever exists, is far off and most profound. Who can fathom it? Not only that, the idea of knowledge and understanding. There's so much more that we cannot fathom. So much more that we cannot um, really comprehend. Isaac Newton." Um, The one who came up with modern Newtonian physics uh, said this in his thing, uh, his reflection, I do not know what I may appear to the world, he was famous at this point, right, for all the (coughs) the knowledge that he had, Um, but to myself I seem to have been only like a boy playing in the seashore, and diverting myself now and then, finding a smooth pebble or a prettier shell than ordinary. Whilst the whole great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. So even this guy who was arguably one of the most brilliant minds of his time recognized that the whole body of truth and wisdom and learning was way beyond his ability to comprehend. It was an ocean beyond him. And so we recognize that all that we have is temporary, uh, it's going to be a vapor. It's way beyond what we can comprehend. And finally, um, it's forgettable, and it's going to be uh, destroyed. Oh, oh. Next slide. Now there lived a man, you know, um, we read Luke. Now there lived in a city, the man, a poor man, but a wise, man, but wise, and he saved the city by his use. Remember, that was really good, right? But, but no one remembered that poor man. And so, said, um, so I said, Wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are now no longer heeded. The quiet words of the, of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of the ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons, but one sinner destroys much good. How do you put these together? Well, the idea is that yes, there is some value in wisdom, and yet it doesn't last, no one remembers, People ignore you eventually. For those of us who are older, you know, and uh, in, in ministry or in industry for a while, oftentimes, you know, the new folk come in and they say, you don't care what you did in the past. You don't know how much you contributed in the past. Now is now. We have the truth now, right? We understand how these things work. And so nothing that you've done in the past has, really is, uh, is, is taken seriously and um, is no longer here. These are the ideas. That's why this is limited. Our value, our 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 our, our thinking is limited, and it's a, a, a very limited value. That's the bad. And if we remember King Solomon's life, if you remember King Solomon's life, we recognize that even the wisest man on earth wasn't so wise in certain areas. The next slide is you remember that King Solomon eventually had seven. 100 wives and 3,000 concubines. Now this might be one of those editorial you know, thingies, um, but the magnitude of the number of wives we had, how, how could this be? Clearly in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, it was clear that the king ought not marry any foreign wives, ever. And uh, But why? Because it was the common conventional wisdom of that time and space that kings married for both political, right, religious, and uh, uh, and, and military reasons. And so part of how King Solomon created this empire, God gave him wisdom, but he he misused that wisdom because it wasn't, it was all wisdom under the sun. And that wisdom under the sun said, oh, even though God's word said this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this and I'm going to marry all these women so that I'll have military allegiances, political allegiances, I'll have treaties, I'll have wealth, I'll have land, because I'm married to all these women. And maybe there's a certain amount of pleasure in that as well. Right? So all these things came and recognized that King Solomon, in all of his wisdom, if he used only that limited, earthly wisdom, was not wise at all. In God's judgment upon him was he was half-hearted for God. That all these foreign wives and concubines took his heart and he no longer served God heart. He became sympathetic and he meshed priorities of conventional wisdom with God's commandments and God's laws. Pick and choose what he wanted. Instead of being totally obedient to God. So there is the scariness here. There's a limit to our wisdom. The bad news is that we can even have a certain amount of wisdom and misuse it and idolatrize it. Um, uh, many of us follow the American dream. So I, I know that's a sensitive topic here. We even had talked about in life community last night whether America is particularly blessed of God. And there may be some truth to that, but there's also another sort of uh, quasi-truth that goes along with that, that God wants to bless us as we pursue the American dream. That that's God's ultimate purpose for us. That as we, as I was growing up, the mantra was, get good grades so you can get into a good school. Get a good school so you can get a big-paying so you can buy a bigger so that you can marry Mr. and Mrs., right? And have children and do it all again, right? That's sort of the big American dream that many of us grew up with. And is that God's perspective on all that? Is that all God wants for us? And is that how he's blessed this nation simply to do that? There are limits to conventional wisdom. Like King Solomon, we can kind of syncretize that in, the, in, in an unbiblical way. So let me suggest that the good news about human and wisdom under the sun is that it can be useful and valuable. It's definitely better than being foolish, right? And scripture, some translations say, an idiot, right? But there are also is bad news. There's a temptation for us, a temptation to idolize it the temptation to ignore God, when we focus primarily on wisdom, and intellect, and and learning. So what the great news is, is that God gives us an option, and it is not either or. I think the cool thing is, um, is that God gives us this idea, this help. Uh, Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. This is the end of the conclusion of the book, right? The conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is what the, the teacher says. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including even hidden things, whether it is good or evil. So the Proverbs says it this way. Proverbs says it this way, next. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will be rewarded. So this idea that when we understand true wisdom, it needs to be instead of either or, you know, human wisdom over here, you know, uh, Christian stuff over here, um, or is it all together? No, it is. That God's wisdom, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I like to think of it more as a foundation. The fear of God, the understanding of who God is, the foundation of all that we understand. We understand that as the premise. He's the creator. He's God of the universe. He's the one who's given us and called us to be his children in Christ Jesus. This is the foundation of who we are. And all human wisdom is built on that natural, natural Um, wisdom and understanding, and then supernatural revelation. And that all comes together. It all comes together. You see, when we think about wisdom and discernment this way, it really helps us. For for reasons why, why is this really important for us? Um, There are three reasons why it's so important for us to understand this. One is because we we begin to recognize that wisdom, um, that God is the source of all wisdom. In Proverbs 8 and 9, uh, uh, King Solomon reminds his people, in Proverbs 8 and 9, oh, we, oh, let's do that one first, right? That's the next one. Proverbs 8 and 9, thanks. Um, 8 and 9, the uh, Lord brought, so, it's a long passage, I can read it all. The whole idea here is that this is the passage in uh, Proverbs that Solomon begins to uh, reflect on where the source of wisdom comes from. Where the source of wisdom comes from. It comes from God's very character. And here, this whole chapter, this chapter and half, really talks about the source of wisdom. And we pick it up in 22, um, and it says, The Lord brought me forth, that is wisdom speaking now, Is wisdom personified, brought me forth as the first of his works, Before his deeds of old, I was formed long, uh, long ages ago. At the very beginning, when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. There, there was no, when there was no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place. Before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world and its fields or anything of the dust of the earth. I was there. He He set the heavens in place. When he marked up the horizons on the face of death and so on and so forth. This idea that wisdom is personified. Wisdom is personified in the book of Proverbs. And it is the very character and the essence of who God is. God is the source of all wisdom. Not only is he the source of all wisdom, he is the giver of wisdom in the next passage. Chapter 2, verses 24-26. This is sort of the climax of the key verse of Ecclesiastes. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his own toil. To so this I see is from this too I see is from the hand of God. For without Him, God, who can eat or drink and have fine enjoyment? For the person who pleases Him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. I'm repeated a number of times throughout the Ecclesiastes, the idea is that God is the one. So all of this earthly, human under the sun wisdom can be enjoyed if it is understood that God is the source of it and the giver of it and the one who comes directly from His hand. And we are humbled to receive all this wisdom discernment, and understanding. We recognize too um, that uh, God is not only the source and the giver uh, of this uh, great gift, but He's also the one who rewards and judges. Ecclesiastes um, 12:14 at the bottom there. We read a little bit earlier. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including even hidden, and every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. God is the judge of all things. It's not just a naturalism that we see. We can't just decide what is good and bad. It is God who reveals. It is God who gives us uh, accountability. Keeps us accountable for what we know. Solomon, as he reflects upon this, recognizes that towards the end of his life, this is how many interpreters understand Ecclesiastes chapter um, 12, verses 1 through 11. And look, can read it all. But really, in the beginning, he really talks about how Solomon's exhortation and reflection upon all we just talked about is that: Look, while we are young, see you guys, young people over there, says, while we're young, we need to remember. The Lord. As we study, as we learn, as we gain all this wisdom and knowledge, we to remember the Lord, remember the, your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, "I find no pleasure in them." So the rest of it talks about how it, you know we find, remember God, fear God, uh, and, and even as we're young, before we get old. Uh, And I love these verses in the middle that talk about how, as we get older, these different descriptions of how it is that we get older. Sounds in verse 4, the sound of grinding fades, and people, um, (laughs) when people rise up, the sound of birds early in the morning, but then their songs grow faint and we start losing hearing, right? Um, All these things, it's a beautiful passage, reminds us that we are those who need to remember the Lord when we're old. Especially when we're young. So, as we look at this, we say, Pastor Tom, what's the difference now? Conceptually, God is the foundation. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. right? And human wisdom, natural wisdom, that that which we see all around us, there's great benefit, but only when we understand the foundation and reveal revelation from God, the truth that comes from His Word, the truth from His Spirit. And so all these things, when these things are all wrapped up together, then we begin to understand what is really uh, true and wise and good for us. The Apostle Paul writes it differently. He thinks about it, and he says, as he's looking upon the wisdom of the Greeks and wisdom of the Hebrews, he recognizes and he says, he takes all things captive. In Christ, right? In all First um, Corinthians uh, uh, chapter ten. Oh, Second Corinthians two, chapter ten, verse five. It talks about how it is that He takes all things, um, every thought captive. Ten four. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So taking every thought making it obedient to Christ. I want you to think about that. Students this year, as you start a new year, I want you to think about every subject that you take. I've heard someone doing homeschooling recently. That's Betsy doing homeschooling it takes, uh, it's required 150 hours per subject matter. Is that right? To get your pass. That's why you have to go 180 days of school. So 150 hours per subject area. And I want you to suggest that in every one of those hours, if you ask the question, how am I taking this subject, this content, captive for Christ? How is the foundation of understanding of who I am? God is, who I am as a beloved child of God in Christ Jesus, and how the natural world and the natural law works, and all the revelation of God, how it all works together. How can I take all that captive in every topic, whether it's math or physics and science, or whether it's economy or business? How do we take every captive, uh, every thought captive for him? There's a book by James Emery, White, uh, A Mind for God. Uh, He was a, a Dean at Gordon-Conwell for a little bit, and uh, he writes about how it is that uh, we, uh, to, to, to think Christianly, to think Christianly is not simply to say that we um, Christians, uh, how a Christian thinks about something. Right? To think Christianly is more than just a Christian thinking. It's more than, um, it, it, it's, it, it's more than thinking about Christian things. It's even more than adopting a Christian view on particular topics. He suggests that thinking Christianly, taking every thought captive for Christ, means that we are in everything and in anything, we are thinking consistently, directed, directed and constrained by the revelation of God's Word, by the power of the Spirit. And so the idea that we are called to think Christian, to take every thought captive, that's what it means to begin to have truly wisdom from God. Because he suggests that he goes over and reminds us that how many hours are we listening to radio and absorbing all that, or music and absorbing all that, or the internet. Surfing. We're doing all these things. We're watching videos and watching movies. I'm, 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 I, you know, I was with one of my sons, and he knows so much about this thing called Game of Thrones. You know, and and, and, and he's just watching it. And he has all the his history about it. He's got all the genealogy going on and all that stuff. And I don't really watch it. of you know, and, and and he just knows all this stuff about Game of Thrones, a fictitious. Series on on TV, and uh, he's just eating it up. And, well, he has this map in his head of where all these things are, and it's like, I wonder whether he has any clue on how that, you know, how that relates, or even how history, of biblical history, or anything like that, any comprehension of of, of, of all all the genealogies of, of scripture compared to what he knows in, in about this fictitious. Series. Because we get absorbed so easily. Get absorbed so easily in the in, in, in the in, in the trends of our day, in the music of our day. And oftentimes when we listen, you know, all this music, and we don't really realize what are the underlying worldviews that are being propagated in each one of these things. And the worldview is different. I laugh now as I turn from station to station to station on. TV or listen on the radio, when we get to discern, well, you know, these kind of, you know, these stations, you know, Fox and so on and so forth. they lean this way on the political spectrum. These other stations lean this way on the political station. So basically, I just go from station to station watching these and recognizing, man, there's a lot of stuff out there. We need to take every cap, every thought cap. Is that right? Every thought cap. If you only listen to one station all the time, I just want to suggest that you at least ask the question, how close is that perspective to the biblical? Whether it's NPR on the left, left, or Fox on the right, CNN that's moving one way or the other, whatever, think about that. Biblical was? true wisdom. Beginning of wisdom, fear of God. As we think about that, I want to suggest that as we launch into a new year, if you're pursuing a degree or getting more training or in school, are we going to have wisdom and God? Are we going to invest in learning Scripture, being with God's people to think Christian? Are we going to do those things? Is going to let the world and its views invade us. We're we'll closing communion this morning. I would suggest that as we think about how it is that we integrate the foundation of that is all the natural wisdom we understand, and the supernatural that it comes all together in Christ. You see that much of the ancient church believed that Proverbs 8 and 9 was actually fulfilled and the precursor and the indication that this is a pre-incarnate Christ. That Christ was the spirit of wisdom that was If you look into the New Testament you see words and phrases that remind us that indeed it is Christ who is our wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, uh, it is because of Him that you are in Christ, Him, God, uh, Jesus who, Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness. And throughout scripture in Colossians for instance talks about how Christ is Hidden in Christ are the treasures of wisdom and understanding. Right? That He is the one who gives us uh, is truly the wisdom. And James reminds that those who uh, want wisdom that we ask God for. And so this morning as we close in communion, we're reminded that only as we are enabled Spirit of Christ. who is our wisdom. That we can begin to build a Christian world. One that is truly biblical, One that causes us not only to know things